Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. One of the things that really stood out for me in this conversation was the way that Andy invites us again into letting go the desire or the obsession with being right and rather looking at what is just and that for me is the call for the church yeah absolutely i really enjoyed getting to know andy a bit more and hearing his heart and his passion behind his podcast and at the moment My imagination is getting really captured by the new science and research behind awe and how it helps our well-being and how it opens us up to one another. And every time that I have listened to Andy recite parts of his new children's book, I have felt moved and I have felt that sense of awe. And I'm hoping that as people listen, that they too will feel something of that. Kia ora, Andy. It's great to have you on the Changes Ahead podcast. Welcome. Thank you, Stephen. Kia ora to you as well. For those of you who don't know Andy, Andy is the host of another podcast, the Down to Earth Conversations. But Andy, I wonder as we begin, though, could you tell us a little about who you are and and what it means to be Andy? Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. I guess the first thing for me is relationships. So I've been married to Bex for 15 years, uh, and we have three kids. We've got um, two girls, Sophia and Mackenzie, who are 11 and 9, and uh, wee boy Cora is four, and keeping us very much on our toes. So yeah, that's kind of my primary um, who am I, is I'm a family man. As well as that, I grew up in Hastings originally. I trained in sport management, went on to lecture in that for a while at Unitech up in Auckland. I have been an associate pastor in the past, and I'm a poet. Mm. I'm an author. I used to be in a band. Those who used to listen to Life of Him a number of years ago may remember a band called Calling Elijah, and I was part of that. We were an acoustic rap rock duo, which was our own genre that we invented so that we could play it. Yeah, and now my wife and I own our own business selling cake decorating supplies, which is a whole new thing for me as well. So that's been going a few years. Yeah. And a total complete sports nut. So And I just have to add that I've brought some of your cake sprinkles. Oh nice. They're fantastic. Sugar lips if you want. Yeah. 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 It's the funniest part about that actually is that Bex started the business by herself and decided sugar lips was a good name for it. And then I got made redundant from my position at the church I was at. And we decided to join her and we'd have a crack and see how it went. Mm. And so then she introduced me to all the customers on social media and they went, oh, Mr. Sugarlips. I went, yeah. <laughs> we so is thought- that how we should be addressing them? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. So, so from now on. This isn't Andy. Cool. <laughs> I've just run with it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You know, when we first started off our journey of being podcasters, I didn't know what our, who else was out there. And it's been a great encouragement to discover people like you, Andy, Mm -hmm. and to hear conversations that have been having in our context, as well as obviously they've been overseas guests as well. So 
I wonder if you could just speak to a little bit about the philosophy behind, you know, yeah. why you started this. And I mean, and it's a great, you know, down to earth conversations. It's a great mm. name. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that and your passion and heart behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was still pastoring, where I was thinking, how can I encourage people that mm. when they pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I was just seeing so many people who prayed that prayer then sitting back and waiting for that to magically happen somehow. And this was something that God was going to do. And yet I just felt just as way more ordinary than that. Mm. And that there's actually ways that we can partner with God and what he's already doing rather than sitting back and waiting for him to do things. Because, you know, I mean, the Bible talks about us being the hands and feet, you know, where we are the way that God moves in the world for the most part. So mm. why would it not be through us that his will would start to be done? And so thinking about that, I was thinking, well, what do I do with that? How do I do that? I got asked to write a poem for the mini justice conference that TFN ran in 2019 down here in Christchurch and went along to that to perform my piece, just thinking, okay, I'm coming to contribute. But they had a business panel that night where they were talking to three business owners who had structured their businesses differently mm. because of what their beliefs were about what God wanted them doing in the world. And I mean, these are people selling wine, people doing haircuts, people manufacturing furniture. And yet they all had this thing that was far beyond profit yes. that involved doing good in the world that involved getting into the realities of life with people and something in that conversation just sparked and I went, I know people that are doing this sort of thing as well and I need to get these stories out there somehow. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's how it started. And the name came from the idea that I want it to be ordinary people. So this is not interviewing the superstars, although I've interviewed a few people who have, I felt are a bit like that. But <laughs> when you talk to them, they're actually just ordinary people too. Yeah. But, you know, I've interviewed my mum and dad because cool. they're yes. like, well, who would want to listen to us? And it's like, well your ordinary people and that's the heart of this is well if if you can do it then i can do it um, so that was a big part of the down to earth is just it's just people getting together for a good corridor and yet the other half the other part of it is that idea of bringing heaven down to earth mm. you know that this is about heaven being this idea that wherever god is at work that is heaven mm. and that heaven can exist here and now, just as hell can exist mm. here and now. You know, there are people that are living in hell mm. that need heaven to break into their space. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the heart of it is the, the byline for it is ordinary, uh, conversations with ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I love that. I, I love this idea of, you know, because I want to live on earth, heaven on earth. I don't yeah. want to wait. Yeah. I want to experience it now relationally and caring for, you know, what, uh, our environment around us and, and for people. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is that we forget how contagious it is yeah. and it stokes us up and stirs something within us. And the more we can do that, yeah, we're, we're all going to be encouraged. That's yeah. a great philosophy. You mentioned you've been a pastor in the past and in the church space. Often we talk about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth. We, mm. we, we look at the Lord's Prayer or we maybe recite the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Um, I guess you're some of 
what you've reflected on with your podcast is you've tried to normalize that or, or ground it yeah. a bit a bit more. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, we're, we we're thinking about changes ahead in the church. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about your experience within the pastoring space mm. of how people either do or, or don't, I guess, uh, bring mm. heaven down to earth from within that space? And yeah. what might be the reason for that? Yeah, I think it's probably easy to talk about when we don't, eh? And and yeah. I say we because you yeah. know I'm part of that. I'm not. This isn't a us versus them thing. This totally. is, yeah. Uh, you know something that I've had to wrestle with myself, mm. and I still don't always get it right. But I think, particularly in the West, because I guess that's the only context I can talk to, because that's my sure. experience. Yep. We've fallen for this idea that it's about being right, mm. and that the ideal is to convince other people that we're right. Hmm. And if they can figure out that we're right, then they'll be right too. And then they can help convince other people to be right. You know, and, and this <laughs> yeah. is, you know, it sounds really silly when you put it like that, but actually we've got huge church structures that are all built around that. Yeah. Uh, all built around being right. And even between churches, there's not the well, there's not always the relationship that there could be because, well, we're right and you're wrong. Well, I mean, I, I grew up in a in a place where I thought that, well, eventually everyone else is going to figure out that we're doing Christianity the right way and they'll come around to, to our way. Yep, and, me too. Yeah. And, and I mean, how arrogant is that? <laughs> you know, but so so I think that's a huge thing that, that I've had to journey out of because I was – very much into knowing the right things to believe, trying to get it all figured out because I'm a very intellectual person. And so, like, I wanted to know what was right and what was wrong. And, and I think where I've got to is that the people that I see that are doing good in the world are people that are less concerned about what is right and what is wrong and more about what is just and what is unjust. Mm. And... I think that going into it with that perspective allows you to lay down some of your need to be right. Mm. That actually if you can see that someone is in need, you can offer them justice without trying to convince them to be right first. And, yeah. and that journey for me has been a real mind shift. It sounds really simple, but it actually, it's been, a, you know, 15, 20 years of, of unlearning and relearning. And I think there's still a way to go because um, mm. I still think I'm right now. I just, I'm right on the other side of the equation. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think for me, that's a huge part of the way that I've seen people operate in the church when they're the people that love people the people that care about people, the people that embrace people regardless of whether they think they're right or wrong. Yeah. And, you know, there's other other Christians are going, oh, yes, but have you, you know, have they made a commitment to Jesus? And it's like, well, I don't know, Jesus didn't even ask everyone to make a commitment to Jesus. Mm. And Jesus seems pretty committed to us as totally. well. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he was, he was actually quite happy to go and, and – see a need and meet a need and move on. Mm. 
and let that yes. be what Enough. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Because actually in the end, it's not actually up to us. Mm. People's people's destinies or futures or whatever. And yes, there's there's a time for sharing knowledge. I think there's extremely important to share knowledge. But it's not our primary goal as Christians, I don't think, mm. to to make mm. everyone else believe what we believe. I think our primary call as Christians is to love people mm. and to to do it in a way where they actually feel loved. Yes. Because I, I really struggle with the, the picture of love that I grew up with. And this is not from my parents, but this is just like the context of Christianity that I grew up with, was this idea that love was about convincing people to believe the right things mm-hmm. because then they would be out of their, you know, trap of sin and, you know, all those arguments around it, it still came back to I'm right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think love is just far bigger than right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and that actually if someone doesn't feel loved, you've missed the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah. I think people know it. I think intrinsically. Yeah they will get it if our stance isn't actually to really love them. Yeah. It'll come through. And, you know, what you're saying is that is, is probably one of the themes that we heard a lot last year is mm. this, this idea of humility. Yeah. And you're right. It sounds easy, but it's a huge practice mm. to keep on going. I can put this aside. I need to put this aside and to shift the focus from what you're saying to what does it mean to actually love? Yeah. It's, it's actually, a, it really requires a lot of us yeah. to let go mm. being right. Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it's even, I mean, it's influenced parenting for me because I would have once wanted to raise my children so that they knew the right things, mm. so that they wouldn't fall away from the right path. Now I'm looking to raise my children so that they so they can have a faith that involves exploration, asking questions, not knowing stuff. Because it's really hard to be right when you go, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just kills all your questions. Because yeah. it's like, well, I'm not sure about this. Oh, no, you need to be, you need to know. You know, it's like, oh, well, maybe you don't. You know, and and so modeling to my kids, actually, I've changed my mind about this thing, Mm. you know, and and having them see that changing your mind, changing your beliefs isn't actually a bad thing. Mm. And in fact, if we're growing, we should all be changing our beliefs all the time. And I mean, call it deconstruction, call it backsliding, call it whatever you like. (laughs) It's a thing where actually, if we're growing, we're changing. And that includes what we believe. And even I'd argue that even the most conservative of Christians don't believe exactly what they believed 20 years ago. And so, yeah, like I say, that that influences with the kids, you know, going, actually, how do I model this so that it's not about them seeing us as being right and their friends at school being lost and wrong and, you know, all of that, but actually going, let's explore this together. Why do we do what we do? Yes. Let's not worry about them for now. Let's just, why do we do what we do? And what do you think about that? Mm. And yeah, it's okay. You think this is weird, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a journey, and I guess we'll see how that ends up. <laughs> 
No, that's great to hear because I think that's one of the the questions we're hearing all the time from our young parents is yeah, what are we passing on? Yeah, what is this faith that we want to? And I hear, I'm hearing you say model. Mm. And 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 embody in our lives, and so that was that was going to be one of the questions I was mm. going to ask you is is what does that look like for you as you've grown and changed, yeah, and mm. and you've really spoken to that, allowing generous space, yeah, for questions, for not knowing, but also that we are asking the questions: what does it mean? What does love look like here? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I look to my own upbringing, and. I was in a very conservative space, but my parents had a real grace around faith. So, yes, they taught me a whole lot of things in terms of, you know, we learned memory verses and we did all those kind of things. And I went to a Christian primary school where we read the Bible every day. And so, you know, I've got a whole lot of knowledge that came from that. But actually, as you heard in the, the interview with them, there was actually just a whole lot of role modeling of what love looks like when you do it. And also, they weren't really that concerned when my brother and I didn't end up in the same denomination that they're still in. Mm. And in fact, like I remember when I was not long in Auckland and I ended up in a charismatic church and the, the upbringing that we had wasn't, wasn't charismatic at all. And they came up for a holiday and I just assumed they'd go to the denomination that they were used to. But they said, oh no, we'll come along to your church. Mm. And I went, oh, okay. And it, it kind of, for me, that was really special mm. because it wasn't about, well, who's right and who's wrong. It was about, no, this is your family and we're your family, so we're coming with you. Mm. And just those, I mean, that seems like a really little thing to some no. people, I guess, but for me it was huge yeah. to go, actually, we we see your faith expression as valid even though it's different from ours. And that's led to all sorts of conversations over the years that, you know, I mean, they think dramatically differently from what they used to think, and so do I. Mm. And part of that has been us having conversations with one another and, you know, seeing seeing things happen in the world and trying to figure out how the heck do we shape our faith around this crisis that's happened in our family or, mm. you know, um, all of those things. So, you know, that's what I've had modelled to me, and I guess that's what I my desire is for, for my kids is that role modelling of how to explore a faith without having to get rid of it. We'll be right back. good space to speak into a new kind of venture that you've been on which is using your poetry mm. to speak into the space of children yeah you've written a children's book i have and i wonder if you want to uh, could speak to that and tell us a little bit about that yeah yeah so i mean that that was it was such a beautiful i guess way that it ended up happening there's an organization based down in Otutahi here in christchurch uh, called Etu Tangata, so stand up people. Um, it's Tangata, so long Macron on the first day, so it's a, it's people, not person. Mm. Um, so stand up people, and it's tackling tall poppy syndrome. And so they, Jay Geldard, who started it up, 
he's been head of the 24-7 youth network for a long period of time. And he started going, how do we make a difference with our youth? Mm. Because like we've got the highest youth suicide rate in the world and what's that about? And so he worked with a, a bunch of professionals and they came up with this idea that there are three things that they think if we get embedded into our culture, it will change the landscape. And it's you have value, others matter, and we succeed together. Mm-hmm. And Can you say those again? I think that's yeah, quite significant. Maybe. Yeah, they're powerful. So you have value, others matter, we succeed together. Mm. And yeah, go check out their website because they've got a whole lot of stuff around that. So it's etutangata.nz. So I went and interviewed Jay. I heard about this initiative and I thought, hey, this would be a great thing for the podcast. You know, here's someone trying to make a difference. So I went and met him for the first time and interviewed him. And he's the sort of person that, you know, you spend 10 minutes with him and you feel like he's going to change the world. Yes. You just And you go away believing that you could be part of that. You know, he's definitely got, he's the right person for the job. Mm-hmm. But I went away from that and I guess backtracking, that was, I don't know, September or something of 2021 the christmas before that we'd been up in nelson with the family and um, i was reading a bedtime story to cora and it was awful i was just lying there going man i could do better than this and then that thought just didn't go away and you have those fleeting moments where you have a thought and then it just disappears and you move on with life whereas this just sat with me going what about this i was like okay well what would i write and how would I do it? And so I put myself through a creative writing course. Huh. And then I put myself through a creative vocation course to go, well, how, did, how would this actually outwork? Not just the skills of writing it, but what would this look like if I put it out into the world and how would I do that? And I was actually in the middle of that course when I interviewed Jay. And so I interviewed him, I went home, and then I happened to be reading a story to Cora again at bedtime. And just another thought came into my head that went, what if this is it? And having met him once, I just put myself out there and went, hey, bro, have you ever thought about doing a kid's picture book? This is my background. You know, I'm I'm a poet. I've been to the National Poetry Slam and I've done these creative things this year because I felt like there was something coming. What do you reckon? And he was all over it and was like, yeah, go for it. He hooked me up with Christy, who's their education person. And it kind of grew from there. And and we ended up, we called it Three Things to Know in Etu Tangata Story. And it basically, through rhyme, explores those three ideas that you have value, we succeed together, and others matter. And it just weaves them together through a a fun rhyming kind of story that explains some of that. And what I love about it is that by writing a kid's book, you're able to get it out there to kids Hmm. for a start. But you're also able to get it out to the parents. There, there are parents out there that need to know that they have value mm. because lots of them don't mm. in a country where we're so good at pulling people down mm. there are people who and in fact there are people who have grown up being told you're nothing you know you'll never make it and to have someone go no actually you have value yeah um, and um there's a there's a recurring kind of theme in the book which is kind of the bit the bit that I'm most proud of and it says for you had your worth from your very first day and nothing and no one can take it away and then later on in the book it's talking about others matter and it says for they had their worth from their very first day and nothing and no one can take it away 
And just that idea that that your worth and your value isn't in the things you do. It's not in being, you know, good at sports or, you know, instruments or or whatever. But and there's we even managed to weave in the challenging things like, what about the kid that that you don't like, or what about that kid that doesn't like you? Mm. Well, they're still valuable. Just like you, they have worth. You know, that's that's some big things to be teaching kids. Yeah. And yet we managed to do it in a way that's sort of light and fun. And then another Andy actually came on board and illustrated it and did an amazing job. So yeah, so that's out there and came out in September last year. And in the first couple of months, they sold 4,000 copies. Wow. Some of that is some people who were already supporters of Etu Tangata and Jay went to them and said, hey, look at this. And they said, I want to buy a thousand so that we can give them free to schools. Wow. Um, so there are schools all over the country getting this book in their libraries, um, getting this book as a resource to use as part of their teaching program. Yeah. And for me, it was a real case of walking the talk. Yes. This was me going, well, here's some skills that I have. And here's a difference that I can make through offering those skills. And what for me is a very ordinary thing. You know, other people go, oh, my goodness, I don't know how you did that. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I just wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and actually I've talked to the guys at Etu Tangata about it, that the whole way that it came together embodied the three values. You know, mm. that if I didn't feel that I had value in myself, there's no way I would have been putting out to Jay saying, hey, what, what do you think of this idea? Like if, if my worth was tied up in whether he said yes or no, I wouldn't have put it out there. Mm. having only just met him right and and then you know the whole others matter is the whole reason we were doing it but also they didn't have someone who could write a book i didn't have someone who could finance a book and neither of us could draw the pictures you know so it really was the right combination of people to make it happen and to succeed as a team so yeah it's been a fantastic story i guess part of my life chapter shall we say since we're talking books it's been a fantastic chapter. Yeah. Cool. I think what I want to say is you're embodying it. When we're talking about love, all of those three things, that just seems to echo that to me. Oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. And the more people that think that, yeah. that to me is, you know, that seed theology, that yeast, that it just permeates. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus talked about is that this is the stuff that is permeates, will make a difference, and will change things. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just love hearing those lines. And I think this is, you also said something else, is the ordinariness. Like for you, that, mm. that just seems really ordinary. For us, we're going, wow, I don't yeah. have the language. So I think often for people, they forget that it's the ordinary thing that comes naturally to them that mm. if they could just do more of that. And that's probably what I want to try and speak yeah. to is to t- say to people, what is that thing that you just find really natural Yeah, and do more of that? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, again, I look at my parents and mum is just amazing at being there for people, you know, people who are going through hard times in life and stuff. And she, her and her best friend do it together, actually, which is gold because it, means that neither of them are you know carrying it on their own but again it's exactly that it's it's the this is something that 
that I found I'm actually quite good at. So let's just keep doing that. I'm also really big on those who have creative arts gifts mm. that you don't have to paint a picture of Jesus for it to be valuable. Mm. You know, that, and I spent years when I was doing the, the band stuff, I spent years going, oh God, I'd really like to do this. You know, I'd really like to do this. And like for three years, I kind of sat around going, God, I'd really like to do this and waiting for some sort of divine permission. <laughs> and eventually I just, I felt like God was going, go on then, you know, and, and I think there's parts of the church that have seen the arts as a creative extra on top. Oh. Like we've got our faith, which is, you know, again, back to the believing the right things and all of that stuff. And then, or we can do some nice creative things that help express the actual faith. But for me, the creative journey is a journey of faith. It's been mm. part and parcel. You know, it's in creating that I'm discovering who I am and who God is in me and all yes. of that. And yes. and I think there are so many creative people out there and, and not just people doing the creative arts. You know, we're all creative in some way. But particularly, I want to say to the artists that if that's what you're passionate about and that's what you love doing, then do it. Because bringing beauty into the world mm. is bringing goodness into the world. Mm. You know, it doesn't need to have any more purpose than that. It can. You know, we've got more purpose than that for this book that I wrote. You know, we're trying to get a message out there and change perspectives. But actually, I've also produced stuff that was just because I wanted to do it. Mm. And it didn't have to change anybody's lives. It could just be a beautiful thing that I put out there. And that's, that's actually that's still partnering with God to bring beauty to the world. It's kind of the beginning of God's story, right? Like that creative totally. act. Like, and mm. it's tragic to me that creativity and artistic expression is not more central in, totally. in, our, in our faith communities, in many I, faith communities, not all. but it, I heard a beautiful thing once from a, um, might have been on the Bible for Normal People podcast, but it was a Jewish rabbi. And he was talking about how in his circles, they're not afraid of darkness because mm. it was in the midst of darkness that God began his creativity. Yeah, and that you know for me you know i've had mental health issues i've had a journey with anxiety and depression i've had other traumas and things happen and bringing those dark spaces sometimes the most beautiful creativity has come out of those spaces mm. and in fact one of the things that is my favorite thing to do in the world is something that i do now is as i every eight weeks i go into the local Salvation Army Addiction Centre and run a poetry workshop and help the recovering addicts process what they're going through through creative writing. Mm. And it's always amazing. And they, they always expect to hate it. And they always come out of it thanking me for the gift that it was for them. You know, and that's something that has come out of the darkness for me. Mm. But as a way that creativity is making a difference for me, for others, in the midst of those hard times, you know. So mm. I think we sideline creativity so much and have it as an optional extra that, you know, just beautifies the the real thing. Mm. Yeah. But actually for me, it is the real thing. You know, it's, it's and so is, you know, intellectual thought. You know, it's not like it's one or the other. It's all all of the stuff actually we, we need to stop arguing about which bits are more important than which bits and go, this is who I am. 
and this is how I engage with the world. Mm. And yes, I can learn and grow and, and learn new ways, but actually this is beautiful. I can be me. And you've kind of, you and yourself are embodying that as well. I mean, you said earlier on that you're quite an intellectual person. Yeah. And so you're letting those two things inform each, form themselves. Um, yeah, totally. Other, right? and, and so that's, yeah. that's really, that's encouraging. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, it was my intellectual study at Bible College that first put me on a path towards issues of justice and thinking well about creativity and those kind of things. It was, you know, this intellectual moment of realisation. But yet I've also had moments of realisation sitting in a poetry open mic night and hearing Mm. an intersex person share about what it was like to grow up as a boy and then develop female anatomy at puberty. Wow. And have a whole lot of my preconceptions blown out of the water through a piece of art in a space where it was safe for them to do that. So, yeah, I've, I've learned so many lessons about myself and about God through creativity outside of the church. I just wish that we could learn as many of those with creativity inside of the church. Yeah. And there are pockets where that's happening really well. So I don't want to, you know, yeah. generalize too much, but I think in a lot of it, we're over focused on one thing. One way. Yeah. And like, even as we're listening to you, I can see the life that comes out of you when you speak about that creativity and it calls forth that life. Is that what it feels like inside you? That this creativity feels life-giving? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And what you're describing is if more people could find that life-giving creativity, can you imagine then again yeah. what that would spill over? Yeah what our lives would look like communally and yeah, the contagiousness of that. Yeah. I really love you speaking into that. This because I've been hearing quite a lot around creativity. Yeah. And the beauty and how we need to foster that. Yeah. And I think for each person is trying to work out that it like you say, it doesn't need to just be painting. It can be something quite yeah, different. Totally. Creativity, we need to broaden the the definitions of what it looks like. Yeah. I mean some of the guests I've talked to the creativity has been in how they've structured their business. Mm. They've gone, actually, we're going to do this business, but we're going to do it in this specific way with these specific focuses. Mm. And that's going to mean that profit is still important to us because we need to exist as a business. Mm. But actually, maybe people are more important. And, you know, I heard one awesome story of, of a guy who they had this belief that, people over profit even though profit was one of their top things that they they had on there but there was a a kid who stopped and looked into their workshop and so he downed his tools and went over and talked to talk to this kid I say kid probably teenage late teens and and the idea there was that in his previous businesses that would be seen as inefficiency because Mm -hmm. you were stopping working to go and talk to someone Stopping working and going and talking to this this guy, they found out that he was kind of a bit homeless, living in a Salvation Army hostel thing while he tried to get his feet on the ground. He himself was a bit of an artist. So they set up a corner of their workshop and bought some spray cans for him and let him go and practice his, his art without having to do it around the buildings. But then they also were involved in this, this auction for a, a charity and they asked, could they put his paint again? 
and they, his, his painting sold for $200. Wow. And he was just blown away that anyone would pay for his art. Mm. And, you know, the story then goes on and there's a lot more relationship that develops in there. But that's because this guy was creative about the structure of his business mm. and went, it's not an efficiency to go and talk to someone because it just might change their life. And if it doesn't, that's okay too. It's 10 minutes of his day that has been, yeah. It's, it's with still living out the principle yeah. that people matter. Yeah. Yeah. And that beauty matters just on its own. Absolutely. Yeah. And the power of it, of what it does for us and to heal. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So as we come to an end, and this has been such a great conversation, Andy, really enjoyed getting to know you more and hearing more of your stories. But what would you like to say to our listeners is something that they could encourage and, mm. and begin to do as they've been listening to you? I think for me, it's about asking myself, and so listeners can do the same, asking myself, what are the opportunities in the life that I already have to bring a bit of goodness? You know, that it's not about making dramatic life changes necessarily. Some people, absolutely. But for most of us, it's going to be about in the ordinary, how I live every day, the work that I go to, the kids that I parent, the, the study that I'm doing, whatever it is, where's some goodness? And it might be complimenting someone. Can you give someone one compliment mm. in a day? Mm. You don't have to start big, start small. What I've found is that as you look for that opportunity, you'll find 20 more. You know, that there are just so many opportunities to do good. But also, one thing I've started to do recently is to notice when yeah. the goodness is happening to me. Mm. You know, when I took a, we had to take a broken couch to the dump the other day, and I was trying to lift it over this rail by myself, and another guy came up and said, hey, can I give you a lift? And the two of us pushed it over together. And for me, I, like reflecting back on that, it's like, that was a bit of heaven. You know, that was others helping me and making my life work better mm. in an ordinary, practical way. Let's all do that. That sounds really cool. You mentioned, Andy, your, your business. It would be cool if people might be interested in finding that. And it would be great if our listeners might want to support you as well. So how do we get in touch with Mr. Sugarlips? Mr. Sugarlips, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we're sugarlips.co.nz and a wide range of baking and cake decorating supplies. And the other side of the business is that 5% of every sale goes to a couple of different charities, um, one supporting mental health work and one supporting an organization that works with rainbow youth in schools, helping make safe spaces for them. So so even in, in your purchasing of things, you can do some good, good and help us to do some good. And mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, we just counted up the other day. And so we started doing the charity stuff at late 2020. And since then, we've managed to give away $20,000 nearly wow. to these so couple of charities. So yeah, the more people that help us, the more we can help them. It's awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Andy. Thank you for taking time. And again, just enjoying these cross-pollination of mm. ideas and conversations. So thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And thank you to you as well for, for starting the podcast that you guys are doing because you know, it's been a real blessing to me. And I mean, it's it's not a competition. It's a, hey, let's all do this and do it. Do it together. Do it together. 
let's explore the same thing from a whole lot of different angles. Mm. Um, and that's what I see you guys doing is, is going, hey, we're looking at it from this angle and I'm looking at it from this angle. And then I've just started listening to Discipleship Aotearoa. Yes, I've just started listening to that as well and going, great, you know, these are all out there. The 21 Elephants podcast, Honest Theology that you talked about. There's just so many in the shift. You know, for me, they're all tackling very similar things from really wide-ranging angles, and it's just really encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. And to finish maybe with your line, we're better together. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, or you've got thoughts about the Changes Ahead for the church, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram or Facebook at Changes Ahead Cast, or email us at the Changes Ahead Podcast at gmail.com. See you next time.